Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. Brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And welcome back to... My Favorite Things. Our Favorite Things. Our Favorite Things. Your Favorite Things. Your Favorite Things. That's so nice. I like that. I like that little recitative reply. (laughs) Hi, Rob. Hi, Kevin. How are you? I'm just dandy. Fun and dandy like a hard candy Christmas. I like fine and dandy, and I like hard candy Christmas. My guts, thank God. Fine and Daddy actually was one of my favorite things a couple months ago. It really was. I think so. I'm getting to the point now, though, Rob, when we do these favorite things, I, I'll, I'll have a co- I write ideas as I think of them because, you know, we've done like 60 plus of these. And I mean, how many favorite things can one possibly have? But I we love lots of things. But I will get to a point where I think, have we already, have we already done this before? Has Robert? And then I have to go and search our <laughs> podcast I should to see and type in <laughs> the book or the movie or whatever. And then some of the times we have done it and some of the times we haven't done it. But uh, I can't remember anymore. <laughs> I'll tell you, I was working on one last night. And just as I finished making my last note, I realized we've done this before. <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, I wonder why this all sounds so familiar right? to me. Because we've done it we before. Did that's right. Um, oh my uh, God! I have to tell you something. What? You know what I saw at Encores, and I flipped the New Yorkers. Did you see it? No, really. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Wow. Keeps putting the mic down, mouthing. Really, like, <laughs> like. Tr- this is what Encore should be doing. Truth. And they and Larry Moore, whom we interviewed, uh, did a lot of the orchestrations. Oh, my God. You know how many guests were involved in the New Yorkers? Isn't that amazing? We had, it, obviously, Jack Fertel, who's you know the artistic and, director and producer. And Ted Chapin. Who are and oh, te- uh, Ted, Larry Moore, who or, orchestrator, Eddie Corbich, was hysterical. Oh my Absolutely hysterical. Todd Buonapane, he was our who host. had a huge role in the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those all I helped him with that audition. Actually, he's he put that on Facebook. He told he did? me, yeah, Aww, so he tweeted sweet. that. He was like, "Kevin, help me with the audition." Aww. He was so funny. Just for I, th- I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you guys right now, the New Yorkers is going to be one of my favorite things at some point. I want to make sure though that they're gonna release a recording before I say it's one of my favorite things, because I hate for to talk about it for 20 minutes and then you have no access to listening to it and seeing it. That's right. But I just want, so just put this in the back of your mind. It was a really brilliant, wonderful presentation, brilliantly directed by John Rando. It it put a smile on your face the minute that curtain went up and then tears at the end. Right. It was it, it. They flipped it on you at the end and became very, wow. very moving. The last song of the show was uh, Cole Porter's "I Happen to Like New York." Oh, it's a great song. The cast was genius. Um, they did a lot of research. There was a Jimmy Durante starred in the show originally on Broadway, and they couldn't find a lot of Jimmy Durante's material. Then they found it at an archive at in either US, UCLA or USC. Wow. And Kevin Chamberlain. Uh, took the Jimmy Durante role. Mm-hmm. It was 
it was incredible. We it was. We haven't seen him in a long time. We haven't too. seen him in a long, long time. He's done a lot of Disney stuff. And, oh and yeah, because like, what is it? Oh god, is he on Sweet Life of Zach and Cody? I don't. I think he plays like he's on one of those. I ran into him. Like, in, I ran into him at an airport in Puerto Rico a couple years ago, and it was just. And I don't really know him, but it was like Kevin Chamberlain. Told, you know, you're awesome, and we were. He was filming the Disney stuff, and he, he's like a regular player, which is gay. Oh, people love him. We miss you on stage, Kevin. Oh, he was so funny. The last oh number gosh. of the first act was a number literally called Wood. I heard about this, and, and they it, just kept throwing pieces of wood on it stage. It was a celebration of the the material wood. <laughs> it had nothing at all to do with the show. That's what I heard. It has nothing to do with the story, but you're right. The end of the first act was hysterical because it's literally Kevin Chamberlain extolling the virtues of wood, and the cast, like you said, all brings out things made of wood to hold up and celebrate. Cellos, easels, the stage door sign, benches, and they all go wood, wood, <laughs> wood, wood. Byron Jennings came out. He threw pencils up in the air. Oh, it was the most, uh, it was incredible. So anyway, I want people to know that this, if you missed it, I'm so sorry. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that they're going to make a uh, recording of it. And I'm going to, this is a rumor. I'm not going to say who told me, but there's an idea out there, and I hope it comes to fruition, that possibly encores might be looking to take shows and tour them across the country, and they'll play with whatever symphony is already in that city. So like the Los Angeles Philharmonic or the Chicago Symphony. Because they've done that with other shows before. Like there's a Claude Michel, uh, you know, Bublil concert. Show, oh, yes. Not taking actual shows, but they've done this where symphonies will do, you know, they'll take Sierra Bogus or someone out to like, you know, Albuquerque and they'll do, you know. But I love this idea of doing a concert of a traditional American musical that a new audience will appreciate. Right? I think that's, I, I'm like, what a, that's a great idea. <laughs> so I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Wow. I, I heard that on the street and I'm hoping that it does. So I saw the New Yorkers. It was fantastic. Wonderful. It will be a favorite thing. If they release a cast recording, I would be very surprised if they didn't because it needs to be out there. And that's the kind of thing, like face the music a couple of years ago. I mean, that, taking an old, a, 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 a chestnut that has no, no recording, no nothing. That, and we can't appreciate it until now. That's wonderful. And this, it was really, really well done oh, really well cool. done so just wanted to pass that out yeah, i love that had a good time nice. and it was nice yeah. it was nice thank you thank good. you i'm taking credit like i had anything to do with it but <laughs> do you try to see all the city center shows whenever they every weekend they have one mm. when they have one you know i used to but everyone like for example this season it's uh big river the new yorkers and golden apple right i've seen 90 productions of big river yeah. There's no, there was no reason for me yeah. to come back and, and see it again. I agree. Um, although, in hindsight, I wish I did because a lot of people... It was a, it was a little controversial, this Big River, um, for a couple of reasons. One, the, uh, the cast was integrated. Mm-hmm. So the idea of, you know, that Huck Finn really doesn't interact with anybody beyond his white skin on a human level kind of... I think is a little. I don't. I. I don't know why they did that. That's the only thing I'm going to say is I don't know why they did that because I think the whole message of the show is, um, you know, we have these preconceived notions, but when he's forced to be with somebody who he's always been told is different from him, right. and then he realizes, oh wow, he's we're all human beings regardless of the color of our skin. I think that message has more impact. So I don't know why. 
I think that I think that message is lost a little bit. Totally. But like I said, I I'm doing something now which I hate people doing, which is criticizing something they did not see. Oh yeah. And I, I that that is like my biggest pet peeve. Totally. Because I'll talk. I was talking to somebody yesterday for 20 minutes. They were telling me a show how bad the show was. How mm. bad a show was. I'm like, oh, when did you see it? Oh, I haven't seen it yet. That's all I heard. Then what are you talking like, about? You no. you can't do that. No, no. And I'm wow. doing I'm what I'm saying is this You're not talking about it, you're just saying what you know. I would love to have seen how that played out. Right. Right. It's not where I would automatically go in terms of if I were telling the story, but But you weren't like, oh, the set was crap and the da da da. Oh know, yeah, this yeah, person no. reviewing the whole show for me gave me a whole rundown on everything, saw nothing. No. So absolutely nothing. Nope. Shame no, on you. them. No, thank you, sir. Shame on them. Um and then the other reason it was controversial was it got a pretty st- strong review in the New York Times in a good way. And then Rocco Landisman and Jack Vertel wrote a letter to the New York Times criticizing the critic. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's oh. all out there. It's not. It's yeah, it yeah. Brantley? Uh, it- no, it was somebody else. It wasn't Ben Brantley. Um, I can't remember. It was a woman, and I can't remember her name right okay. now. Um, wow. But anyway, they she had some issues with the show. In terms of race going, it's not race. The gist of it was, and you can see all of this online, that it wasn't the show wasn't uh, racially sensitive to 2017 audiences. Mm. And 2017 audiences were uncomfortable sitting there watching it. Mm. That was a point in the review, which was a very, it was a glowing review saying the great, great direction, great cast, great this, great that. And ironically, Jack Vertel and Rocco Landisman, who you think would be happy that they got a good review, wrote back to the critic, to the editor of the New York Times going, this is horrible criticism. Um, the critic doesn't back up any of their points. Wow. The whole point of the show is it is about racism. Are we not supposed to remind people where our country once was? You know, So it was a really healthy discussion. Wow. But I'm really fascinated that literally Jack Vertel and City Center could have been like, guys, we got a great review in the Times. All right, they have a couple of quibbles, but it's a great review in the right. Times. But the fact that he was so artistically slighted by that, yeah, and he wrote, I think it's fabulous. Especially with a show that, that wasn't even trying to be a commercial run or anything. I mean, there was a one week into performances and done, you know, like let it be. But I, I appreciate that he had his arts you know, <laughs> feathers in a, you know, twist. <laughs> I think it's fascinating. I, 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 we've already interviewed him, but I would love to sit down with him yeah. and just, and you know, hash that out. Um, that might be an interesting favorite thing at some point, like to sit down and just, it's, that's a topic, right? you know, is there a, is there a place for these shows where it's about racism or misogyny or homophobia? Like, are there still places in the theater to have that discussion? Boy, that's a good with, without saying, Without offending people, you know, that's, right. I mean, that's also a big argument in terms of like the, them wanting to remove the adventures of Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer from uh, the reading lists in schools right. because the N word is used so often. Some people go, it's, it's offensive and it's insensitive and it's going to upset people. And then there's another camp that says we have to remind children of where this country really once was and where we're where we're going and the progress we've made and we really can't do that right. until we look at look at something like that and the evolution of if we're going to take one word and how that word started here and it's ended it's in the lexicon Absol- of a whole culture of people in our country right absolutely. now it's used all the time absolutely and i think you see that i think is a really healthy discussion as an educator i think that's a healthy discussion to have if it's done with sensitivity mm-hmm. and it's done with knowledge and it's done with respect but i think to consistently walk away 
because yeah. it doesn't want to offend anybody or upset anybody. I, th- I think what happens is that I think you dissipate that struggle. Yeah. You dissipate that meaning. And this is for a whole bunch of things. This isn't just for Huck Finn, yeah. but so many things like that, that, you know, schools go, we don't want to teach it because it's going right. to upset. What do they call them? Trigger warnings now? I think so. We get, we get, we give you, I think trigger warnings are fine. But you can't just then say we're not going to cover ignore it. Ignore them. We're going to yeah. ignore it. So I don't know. Wow. That's a whole other huh. conversation. Yeah. So to answer your question, do I see all of the city center shows? I try to unless, but they're also expensive, and it's also like totally. I, I've I've seen Big River. I've worked on Big River. Oh my god, I worked on a Big River once. I didn't direct it. Somebody else directed it. Their premise was a mixed race Big River. So. Caucasian actors played African-American roles, African-American role actors played Caucasian roles, men played women, women played men. It was, uh, wow. That sounds very interesting. It was, uh, it was something. Cause if, if, if uh, it's, uh, mm, yeah, I didn't see it, so I can't say, but if I saw some like white blonde girl singing free at last, I have a hard time with that a little bit. But that's what it was. <laughs> see, I have a hard time with that a little bit. But I didn't see it. So maybe it was like, maybe, how was it done? Was it, <laughs> you know what? I was just going to move past that one. I saw it. Okay. All right. I saw it. There's a very funny story that goes along with it. And I'll, 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 I'll keep, <laughs> this is, we were talking a little bit about community theater yeah. a couple of episodes oh, ago. Yeah. And I think this is a really good one. The theater where this show was performed um, was in a small town. Okay. And the small town newspapers were, are always instructed, you have to give a positive review to the Aww. shows because <laughs> it's your friends. It's like the local banker. It's this person. Right, it's totally. that person. You can't just be like, oh, the so, work of Mr. Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you, yeah, yeah. You, you're absolutely yeah. right. You can, not professionals. You, you cannot have that. So the, no matter what the review was, no matter what the show looked like, the review was always positive. So the marketing director would always take the review and blow it up huge so it was like a huge billboard and they stuck it right in the theater window wow. so everybody could see could always walk by and see the glowing review well th- because she had been doing it by rote for so many years she never really looked at the big river review which said headline big river sinks and went on to for two paragraphs to talk about how horrible the girl playing tom sawyer was full oh my god big Right in the window. They didn't even. They just had printed didn't look, out. Just didn't print look. it out. Didn't even look. Oh bless. That's a true story. Oh. Same marketing director who put on the parade poster. This was the one thing on the parade poster. The true story of a man wrongfully accused of murder. Uh, wrongfully accused of murder and is executed for it. That's the. Button. I'm like. That's the show. That's crazy. I'm like, that is the show. Sure, Sweeney Todd is the demon Barbara Fleet Street, but, you know, come on. That, like, is, yeah, you know, that like, helps a little but bit. You, but you know that right at the beginning. Right. This is this was literally <laughs> a man wrongfully accused of murder is executed for it. Like, honey, what should we see tonight? Let's see. Oklahoma? I don't know. Parade? Oh, yeah. Uh, that looks that's, good. That looks Happy. good. <laughs> Can you imagine Jeez. a man wrongfully accused <laughs> of murder? And I'm like, well. We don't even have to see the show now. Just stay home and watch Law and Order. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> At least there's some tension yeah, there. I know. At what point will Jack McCoy look agitated and raise his eyebrows? <laughs> when is this going to happen in the story? <laughs> and which Broadway actor is going to be convicted this week Gosh. of triple homicide? 
Dennis O'Hare, you're going to jail. Bye. Sam Watterson, I object. <laughs> Your honor. Thank you, Sam. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. I'm working on my Sam Watterson impression. Okay. You know who does a brilliant Sam Watterson? I can't believe there's someone who does. Oh, have you never seen this? Mm-hmm. Fred Armisen. Really? They did an SNL skit years ago. I thought it was so funny. It was Jake Gyllenhaal and Amy Poehler. And Amy Poehler teaches a class to New York actors how to <laughs> how to land your Law & Order audition. That's the only <laughs> That's class. Funny. So it's Jake Gyllenhaal, and he's lot, he's supposed to be a dock worker. Okay. And he's like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, I saw the crime. I know who did it, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, stop, stop, stop. She goes, anytime they talk to the cops, they're always moving around. So she, Which is true. I'm sorry. If a cop questioned me about murder, I don't think I'd be, I'd be, I'd be like frozen shit. But it's literally, she's like, yeah, I saw the murder. And she's like jumping up and down, demonstrating <laughs> like she's throwing chairs and like running into walls and like picking up imaginary crates. <sighs> but Fred Armisen shows up at the end of Sam Waterston and it's kind of genius. Right, I have not been able to find that skit, oh. but I think it is so funny. There's two SNL skits. I'm getting off topic, but I'll get back on topic. There's two SNL skits that are involved in theater that make me really, really laugh. That's one. Uh-huh. Have you seen The King and I? Oh, I was going to thought you were going to say The West Side Story because that's one of my favorite ones. The West Side Story. Oh, with Norm MacDonald where he's like, what are you guys he's, doing? They're like, do-do-do. He's like, what are you, what are you doing? Why, why are you singing and dancing like that? It's so funny. Oh, that's. Like, but I get so excited. I just had to do it. Like, oh, that's brilliant. Liza Minnelli turns off a lamp is also pretty genius with Kristen Wiig. Have oh, you seen that? I, I, I don't know. It's, how does Liza, it's literally Liza Minnelli in her apartment. And she like just the simple act of turning off a lamp is like a big theatrical <laughs> show. Wait, is Kristen Wiig playing? Kristen Liza? Wiig plays Liza oh, Minnelli. God, I want to see that. You've oh, never that seen sounds, that? That sounds great. Okay, so this one I am looking for. If anyone can find it, please send it to me. It was the late great Phil Hartman, oh, who was so brilliant, so amazing. He would have been a great stage actor. My mm-hmm. God, and Nora Dunn, and she hosts a public access show. Uh-huh. And it's called like theater in your backyard or something like that. (laughs) And she's sitting down with Phil Hartman and she goes, so what's next for you? And he goes, well, I'm playing the king and the king and I. And she goes, oh, when are you going to shave your head? And he goes, I'm not going to shave my head. He goes, there's nothing in the script that says the king has to be bald. (laughs) It's just, you know, Kiel Brenner was bald. And she goes, oh, you're really not going to shave your head? And she like starts guilting him about not shaving his head. And he finally explodes. And he's like, why? Why do I have to do what another actor is doing? Why can't I just create my own performance of the king? Why do I have to be Hugh Brenner? And he like bursts into tears. And Jan Hooks comes out as his wife to defend him. And she looks at the camera and it's so dark because this is like a year after Hugh Brenner died. She goes, you want Hugh Brenner? Dig him up. Oh my God. That is, first of all, for SNL, who does all this political stuff, that's so business and like so show business. busy. And like, so know, after like, he like wipes his tears away, Nora Dunn's like, well, after the king, what role do you do you play next? And he goes, oh, Daddy, Daddy Warbucks. Warbucks. <laughs> all right, that's funny. That's good. That one. And then there's one that's really, it's so offensive, but it's so funny. This is an offensive one. It's Joe Piscopo. I can't remember who plays his wife. They're going to the ballet. Okay. And they're sitting there and they're watching Swan Lake. And a dancer gets thrown in the air and falls to the ground. And another dancer like runs across the the, the stage and hits a tree. And they look at the program and Joe Piscopo goes, he goes, this is Swan Lake. He goes, this is ballet for the blind. And they're like, 
like it's Eddie Murphy and he's like falling into walls oh, and like they're knocking scenery down. And finally Joe Piscopo stands up and he goes, stop. He goes, this is embarrassing. He goes, you have to stop doing this. He goes, you're hurting yourselves. And Eddie Murphy steps forward and goes, what's your problem? He goes, what's your problem? And Joe Piscopo goes, I get it's ballet for the blind. He's like, but you can hurt yourself. And Eddie Murphy goes, oh, we're not blind. They are. And the whole audience has on black sunglasses and they all like shake their white canes. So it's like, it's so offensive. It's so random. But it is so funny. So anyway, every once in a while they do a funny theater thing. I'm so sorry. That was a very long tangent. I'm sorry. I love it. My apologies. I don't remember that. I've never saw that one. If anyone can find that Phil Hartman one, though, it makes Ooh. me laugh so hard. You want Huel Brenner? Dig him up. Dig him up. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Oh, what role are you going to do next? Daddy Warbucks. Daddy Warbucks. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, I love a good button. Oh. I love a good punchline. Yeah. They oh. have them on that show. Oh, they don't have them so much. Sometimes it's... Well, sometimes they just sort of like the, the skit sort of Yeah, you hit fades the climax, away. and then we just sort of fade out. It's very hard. I don't know why that is. It's very hard to get that. You want that nice. It's that, rev, it's that review. You want that zinger and yeah, it takes me to a blackout. Like, yeah. Give me a, although the last episode, I can't remember who hosted. They actually were doing a pretty good job of it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe somebody gave him Lately, a note. It's been really great. Yeah. Oh, my Favorite God. Yeah. Things. Favorite thing. Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, what do you have? Oh, I have one that uh, I, I just think it's a really fantastic show. Oh, I like this. Um, a show. It's a show. Yeah. I've been getting away from. Um, the, the YouTube for a while because okay. my, my husband's like, you can't watch it so much anymore. Fair. I'm like, all right, that's fine. Back to Unsolved Mysteries. Back to Unsolved. Oh, don't get me started. I just got so excited I said that. That was just like trigger word. I've been working. <laughs> my Robert Stack impression's getting really good, by the way. I'll bro- bust that out for the next episode. Oh. Leave people with a cliffhanger. Let's talk about my favorite things. Oh, my God. <laughs> 1985. Okay. Oh, 1985. The person who wrote the music for this show is going to be a guest for us. Wait, are, this isn't going to be like the grind. Oh, it's not the grind. It's just grind. grind. It is your favorite thing. Is it is grind? my favorite thing. Yeah, because pr- pretty soon one of our guests is going to be uh, a composer that we really like named Larry Grossman. Yep. Um, my God, his work. Where do we begin? What else? What well, has he done? Well, I just listened to two days ago and followed the score to A Doll's Life. Okay, so uh, we ha- that was the that was the other Hal Prince show. That was, isn't it Hal Prince? Yeah, it was Hal Prince. That was right before because Hal Prince really sunk his teeth into to Larry Grossman, but to not much success. To not much success. It was um, Doll's Life. He mm-hmm. did Minnie's Boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and this big one that we're going to be talking Snoopy. about. Oh, Snoopy. Oh, Snoopy. Snoopy's a bit. No, no, you're right. Snoopy's yeah. a big one for him. But the one we're talking about today is called Grind, Grind. from 1985. Um, the music is by Larry Grossman. The lyric is lyrics are by Ellen Fitzhugh. Yeah. And it's a book by Faye Kanan, um, whose husband was Garson Kanan, the very oh, famous yeah. playwright and novelist and all that fun stuff. So in 1975... Faye Kanan was approached by Universal Studios and said, would you be interested in writing a screenplay that talks about race relations in entertainment and specifically Chicago in the 1930s and burlesque houses, which were supposed to be segregated. But if you paid off the cops and the cops looked the other way, the houses could be integrated. So whites and African-Americans could share a space, could share a stage was not supposed to happen, but you pay off enough cops, they all look the other way, right? right? So she writes the screenplay, 
And she realizes, you know what? Universal loses interest. But she goes, I really like this story. What can I do with it? So she brings it to Hal Prince and goes, I wonder if this could be a musical. <laughs> and Hal Prince makes it into this musical. It starred Ben Vereen. Um, a woman who I don't think we've ever heard really much from ever since. Her name was Leilani Jones. She won the Tony Award for Best Featured Actress really? in a musical. And 1985 is a really weird year because remember, that's the year where they're like, nothing's Nothing. is on Broadway yeah. except Big River. Yeah. Ironically, yeah. except Big River. Um, and they got rid of a lot of categories. Yeah. But Best Featured Actress got to stay. Best Leading Actress, I think they cut. Really? Best leading actress Weird. and a couple of other things. And I could I could be wrong, but I feel like that's that's what they got rid of. So anyway, she there's her and like I said, Ben Re- Stubby K. <laughs> oh, Stubby Ni- K. Nicely, nicely Johnson from the guy. Jeez. Na- he must nicely. have been like a hundred. Oh, well, that was actually the point. Here was the issue with Grind. The score I think is really wonderful. And yeah. the score is really fantastic. There was a cast recording of it. There's a great cast recording of it. There's a Tony Award clip of the opening number, which a lot of people say is one of the best opening numbers in musical theater called this must be the place, huh. which is actually, it's really fun. Yeah. But the, sh- the number sets up the show to be this big, fun, jovial entertainment. And here, and this was the main issue with Grind. Hal Prince, at this point, like you said, just came off, the, it was the flop of Merrily. Mm-hmm. It was the flop of A Doll's Life. Mm-hmm. And now he had some plays he directed, like uh, Play Memory and End of the World, they flop. Oh. And now he's going into Grind. Which is going to be so he's not he doesn't have a hit. It's been a while track record here, right? And Merrily was right before you know was before that. So he can't get investors. Wow. He literally had to fly to Texas to meet with oil men <laughs> and play the score for them. He said this was the least happiest he's ever been in his professional life. Wow. And all that the backers kept saying to him is, "Who's the star? Who's the star? Who's the star? We won't invest until there's a star." And so Hal Prince, who envisioned the whole piece as an ensemble piece, was like, "I need a star role." And they built up the role of this uh, character named Leroy at the at the burlesque house for Ben Vereen. Wow! And so the show sort of gets out of control because Ben Vereen's like, "I want this, and I want that." And where's my dance well, now number? Now he's the star, yeah. Well, he's the star. And so Hal Prince is like, they keep skewing the show to be more and more about Ben Vereen. Right. And so it loses its ensemble feel. Um, and it even gets to the point where Ben Vereen is like, I want my own dance. And I want Bob Fosse to do it. And if you remember, Hal Prince and Bob Fosse did not get along after Chicago. Yeah. Because Hal Prince famously sends that telegram to Bob Fosse. You know, tell Bob Fosse that 19... 19- 30, 20s Chicago is not the same as 1930s Berlin. Wow. Meaning like, yeah. you stole my fucking ideas. Exactly. Um, and so anyway, he can't, he can't get any funding. He can't do anything. Uh, so Ben Vereen and so Bob Fosse comes in, does the thing for so him. So he does do a, like a specialty dance? For, it's the for, opening number of Act Two. And, that, and Fosse comes in and does that one number? Yep. And then leaves. Isn't that incredible? So, I mean, I th- the one thing I like about that is, is the fact that you know, even though they have this rivalry, Hal Prince goes, the person who we need for the show to make it work is Bob Fosse. And even though I'm not getting along with them, it's really about the audience's 
right. clarity of the story that needs to take precedence. I think that's really cool. That's what, so the, the issue yeah, so is... There were dollar signs as well. Right. <laughs> sure <it> like, <laughs> right. Like, you know. But the show is then beset with all these problems. Yeah. It gets horrible reviews out of town. The one thing that everyone loves about the show is the set, because the set designed by Clark Dunham, it's really cool, and okay. we'll post photos of it. It's the, the exterior of the burlesque theater, but it turned around on a turntable, and there were all these stairwells and staircases going to dressing rooms and all these little nooks and crannies. Ooh. And you look at the pictures and you're like, yeah, this, this does look pretty amazing. Um, but how Prince wants to talk about everything in this musical. So we deal with racism. We deal with the Irish Republican army. Stubby K Eesh. plays a character, uh, an old vaudevillian who's going blind and doesn't want to tell anybody that he's going blind. Oh, it deals with, which real. I think is that's really, actually a really real, right. That's real. Which I think is interesting. they said he was really wonderful in it, yeah. but it's dealing with 90 million different things. And so the issue that all the critics had is there's three stories going on. Mm-hmm. None of them are given <laughs> like an episode of love boat, like an episode Sorry. of the love boat, the love boat. So, I don't know why that it's with, I, which I'm sure Stubby K and Ben Vereen both appeared on at some point. Definitely. Right. <laughs> um, and so they, they're saying that there's all three plots that he goes, because there's so many, you don't really have time to focus on any of them or invest yeah. or invest. So everything is being thrown all over the place. Hal Prince and three of his collaborators got suspended from the Dramatist Guild Union because they were so eager to get the show up and going and running that they signed what the Dramatist Guild said was a substandard contract. Wow. So he's literally getting hit. In every single way, Hal Prince on this one. And then what makes matters worse, and he talks about this in his autobiography um, or in a biography of his where he says there was a really important number that he wanted to include in the show. But the cast that was mostly African-American felt that it was uh, racist and demeaning. And Hal Prince said, I need to show this so people understand what was going on at the time. And the cast came together and they looked at him and said, we're not going to perform it. And wow. he said, if I had any guts, I'd fire, I would have fired all of them. He goes, I didn't. And he goes, and I felt that I compromised and I've never compromised before. And so grind is this show that it has all of these, like, it's like the bad juju about it. Like there's a bad yeah. energy, a bad karma surrounding it. It was done at, uh, in New York in musicals and Mufti in a reading series a long time ago. It's not really done that much. Uh, I, I, the writers no. I think are hesitant about giving the rights out, but there's a wonderful score, which you should listen to because the score really is incredible. Yeah. There's some great things in there. Stubby K has some good stuff. Ben Vereen has some good stuff. And the big number from it, ladies that you might not be familiar with, but you should be called all things to one man mm. where Leilani Jones sings about what, um, what she wants to do when she's finally in a secure relationship. So it's a great song. It's a great score. It's a show that I wish would be reinvestigated, maybe with a new book writer who's willing to go in there and trim and cut. But like you said, there are some really relevant things in there, which I mean, what they were really trying to do is they were trying to really tell the story of race in the United States. And they were using this little microcosm Mm -hmm. as a metaphor for all of it. It's just a lot. It's a lot to chew on. on, It's a lot to chew on, but that doesn't mean it does not have a wonderful score. Yeah. So Grind is mine from 1985. Good one. One of the last couple of musicals to play the Mark Hellinger Theater before oh, it became yeah. the Times Square Church. Where Legs Diamond. Where Legs Diamond. Legs Diamond closed it, right? Sure, that was yeah. the last one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Grind is is one. of Then Rags was before that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, they didn't. Sorry, Mark Hellinger. Yeah, right. But Grind is another one I that's going to. I will gonna... say, what's interesting, uh, I'm, my takeaway from the story also is perseverance because Hal Prince, I mean, obviously we don't have to say Hal Prince, but 
he was he could have retired or whatever, but instead he had all these flops. And then what happens after? He does Phantom of the Opera. Which, Do you know what I mean? Like, and how, how? So for like ten years or maybe seven years after uh, Sweeney and it's after Sweeney. I mean, like he didn't have many hits. Like we you mentioned all of them, and and you would think so, someone might say, all right, well I'm you know a certain age. I'm I'm kind of maybe I'll just. Produce. He, it was Sweeney and Evita, right? Because Evita came yeah. after that. Yeah. I think maybe Evita would have been his last big yeah, hit, Vita, right? You're right. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, this guy could have walked away. Yeah. All a lot of them could. And, it was, and and then and then to come back with not just like a hit. I mean, we're talking like Phantom of the Opera is still it's it's a it's a, it's in the lexicon of American history now. Like yeah. Hamilton is. You know, Phantom of the Opera is like famous. Which, if you remember, he was offered, and then they took it away from him. Oh, really? Yeah, they offered it to him, and then Cameron McIntosh turned around after he had all these flops and goes, no, I, I think we're wow. okay. He's like, we're going to go in a different direction. Um, and how Prince, they had a breakfast meeting, and that was the first thing Cameron McIntosh said at the top of breakfast. He's like, I don't want this to be awkward. I just want you to know we're going in a different direction. We're, we don't want to use you anymore. How Prince is like, I'm not going to have breakfast. Bye, see you later. Got up, left, took all of his, he had all these notes he made about Phantom, and he told his secretary, he's like, yeah, they, they fired me. And he threw her the notes. And she was like, oh, should I just throw them away? He goes, oh, no, file them. He goes, they'll be back. That's amazing. And then, That's lo amazing. and behold, they came back and that. said, you know, yeah. we kind of made a mistake. Thought. Would you want to come back? So you're right. It is about perseverance. Mm-hmm. And it is about not resting on your laurels. And it is about creating new stories. And I think that's absolutely yeah. wonderful that you're right. He could have walked away vacation for the rest of his life yeah. but he's an artist he loves to tell stories and nothing will deter him from doing that, yeah. that and I think that's to anyone in this business I think that's what you need that's a great that. lesson so yeah. thank you Mr. Prince yeah. thank you for, thank you for Grind and we'll post some clips oh, of it yeah. so Grind 1985 nice. Kevin David Thomas I'm what's going your favorite in a thing? little different direction I'm going to take things I'm going back <laughs> where I can be that's me that's right I'm going a little campier direction this is probably the camp of all camp albums, I have to say. This is a, I am going to call this an album. I almost would call this, I don't even know what to call it, really. Uh, you're gonna, I'm surprised it's actually not on your wall. Uh, Rob has a wall of, of um, records that ha- have been framed. And on it, uh, I think we've talked about it before, but you've got everything from uh, Follies, of course, the original uh, cast album, to you know Dolly Parton, and maybe a little Barry, is that Barry Manilow? No, who is that on the bottom there? Conway uh, Twitty. Oh, Because <laughs> my husband loves con- country music. There it is. Yes, of course, 9 to 5. Anyway, I thought this album might be up there, just because it is kind of fun and campy. It was <coughs> released, excuse me, in 1979. It is famous for its... Um, the material on it because it's one singer. It's a solo album. And let's just say that this singer, in order to stay with the time, the look on Rob's face when he, when he just realized what it is. I know what this is. She, in order to stay with the time, someone probably came to her and said, Hey, listen, you are really big in the thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, even. And then that hello Dolly that you did in 1970. But what we really think will get audiences, Miss Merman is if you record a disco album. And she did. And she recorded the songs. It's not like they just took her old songs and laid a disco track on it. Because that could they could have done that. That would have been easy. Just remix it like that one song that Climb Every Mountain that you you that you know that you hear at clubs sometimes. Wait, I mean I I think I've heard at a club sometime. <laughs> you know, climb every mountain. And they just remix it. You know, you could do that with a song. <laughs> but no. They had Elfell 
good old Ethel Merman, good old aging Ethel Merman who can still sing. And this woman is from the pre-microphone days. So all she knows how to do is project. There's no finesse. And what do they do? They have Peter Matz, the great arranger, arrange these true, authentic disco songs. But here's the tracks on the album. No business like show business. Everything's coming up roses. I get a kick out of you. Something for the boys. Alexander's ragtime band. I got rhythm. (laughs) And so what she did was she hated disco, though. She hated disco. So what (laughs) they would play, they would record her tracks, her vocals with a scratch track or with a piano, what they call scratch. And so you would you would you would take her, you would lift up her vocals and then they would arrange the orchestration of that disco sound over her or they layer it on top. Sometimes it doesn't always match up perfectly (laughs) and you can hear it, too. Um, But um, uh, yeah, it's not always exact. Uh, this was a night. They even re-released this album in two thousand one, and uh, it's it's now no, it's no longer in print, but you can still find it elsewhere. It's on YouTube, you guys. Um, and I just want to pose three questions. Uh, the first is is um, whose idea was this to begin with, and how in the world did they ever convince her to do it? I I, I would love to know that backstory. I wonder if Stephen Cole could tell us. Um, I want to know about the. Do you remember the cover of this album? Oh yes, uh, she's literally in a muumuu. She's like in mid mid disco turn or something. Yes. You're led to believe. I want to know this. I want to know where is she? Where, what is she doing? And why is she wearing that muumuu? Uh, number two, there's a cowboy hat. As you look at this picture, it's like. Out of nowhere, there's just a hat, cowboy hat, in the frame. Don't know why it's there. I think I know where that pose comes from. Where? I think they were doing the photo shoot for the album, and the photographer was like, Ethel, are you excited to make a disco album? She's like, disco album? Nobody taught me that. (laughs) Fuck this. And she's literally leaving. She's trying to get away. And she literally, they caught her in mid-leave. I mean, I'm not singing disco. And and the thing is, like two disco songs, you'd have like that thump, thump. Thump, thump, waka, 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 waka. And then the, they would have like a two-minute intro. Oh, yeah. And it was like, doom, 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 cutting up. And then <laughs> she comes in after a while. But it's you get the build-up, the lead-in, and everything. I mean, it's they're hysterical. They're amazing. They're so weird. The other one that's really weird is, have you heard Ethel Merman sings Kurt Cobain? What? That's a, that's a really awkward one. Ethel Merman sings the songs of Nirvana. No. <laughs> she does grunge. Uh-uh. Yeah. She did, a, no, she did a whole bunch. Ethel Merman did disco. She did a grunge album with Nirvana. Did. Yeah. And then uh, she did all Gloria Stefan songs called Senorita <laughs> Merman. You don't know these? You're, all in the same photo. It's it. her always stop in Moomoo <laughs> leaving. Are you excited about your new album? The songs of Kurt Cobain. <laughs> grunge. I don't sing grunge. Ethel Merman sings corn. <laughs> <laughs> He was a skater boy. <laughs> Said, see you later, boy. How does a bastard son <laughs> of an orphan? <laughs> Ethel Merman sings a well, one woman show Hamilton as Leslie Burser. Burn! Burn! <laughs> That's all classic. Those are going to be the classics. I love oh, it. Oh, man. You guys, though, it is it is worth a listen. It is so <laughs> campy and weird and fun. I still want to find that LP. I, 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 I look for it in thrift stores, never can find it. I've never seen it. And it used to be a big collector's item, that that that, ca- that album. It that used cast to- album. It's not a cast album. but Did, is, it on, is it on YouTube or on Amazon? It's on YouTube. Oh, yeah. It's all on YouTube. And when they reissued it, they, they released another track, like another, because they, they recorded 14 tracks. They've only ever released i think six or seven 
Oh. And so, yeah, the, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, and then they released the eighth track. The other tracks, they're they're gone. Oh, darn it. I don't it. even know what they are. But but they would be on the album if you were to buy the album? No, no, no. no. The album only has eight, uh, seven songs. And then they when they re- reissued it to CD, they added another song, but then there's other six other songs. I don't know what they are. That they just never put anywhere. They just didn't release them. But she recorded 14 and all. I wonder if she had approval. I wonder. You know what? That's a, yeah. I thought it was really cool that Peter Matz did the, uh, did, produced the album. I think that's kind of random and like. Oh, this is a horrible question. Is Peter Matz still with us? I don't. That's a really good question. Can I ask? I'm going to ask uh, my, my phone. Is Peter Matz still alive? Do our listeners know the answer to this? Oh, here we are. Peter Matz. Oh, no, he's gone. Oh, he passed? Yeah. In 2002, Ooh, yeah. Oh, damn it. He was too young. Yeah. 73. Ah, all right. Oh, all right. We'll Better take look a look. We'll time. take a look. Oh, yeah, 73. He was young. Okay. All right. Well, so the, what's the full title of the album? Uh, Ethel uh, Ethel Merman Disco Album. Ethel Merman. Uh, yeah, the, the Ethel Merman Disco Album, so I believe it's called. The Ethel Merman Disco <laughs> Album. <laughs> Just look for... Her in a muumuu with disco lights behind her and a random cowboy hat to the right of the of her. I don't under. I, we'll post the picture. I don't understand I why. why. I don't know. Like I, it's, it cracks me up. The whole thing is weird, and and you and 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 also it kills me that she re sang all of these songs in, in nineteen. You know when when this came out in nineteen seventy nine. She I, I, it just kills me. <laughs> she was like, yeah, I'll do that. Sure. Like I need the money. Oh man. Gotta love her. Only YMCA I know is Yo Merman Can Act. <laughs> uh, oh, I want. I'm just. I'm curious to know what some of the other ones were. I know. We should look them up. Her Michael Jackson album is also pretty good. <laughs> Doesn't matter if you're black or white. <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. All right, listeners. Nice. So once again, Good we times. have the Ethel Merman disco album and grind. grind. We will see you later. Bye. Bye. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. They dream the dream of days to come, where spongership is high and money is forthcoming. That's beautiful, Kevin. I really added a voice onto that one, too. (laughs) I really was trying to go for something there. Listeners, we love creating this podcast, but it does cost money. Please don't make me sell my Angel record. Oh, my gosh. The original cast recording of Angel. That, like, nobody has. Nobody has it. If you like what we are doing and want us to keep doing more of it, please head over to patreon.com what? that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com pat-reon i feel like <laughs> oh, pat-reon yeah pat-reon pat pat-reon yeah once you're there search for behind the curtain broadway's living legends and of course we don't expect to give without receiving some great rewards such rewards include behind the scenes videos Ooh. shout outs on future episodes mm. or episodes depending on what part of the country you're from because <laughs> i said episodes and early access to some of our podcasts hell for the right price kevin and i will come to your apartment and act out all of agnes of god <laughs> so head over friends to p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com to help us out 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.